This evening our passage is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, the story of blind Bartimaeus. Let's pray that God would be with us as we again embark on this journey of listening, that His Word might sink deep into our souls. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for giving us the blessing of Your Word. Would we not take this task lightly? Would we receive the truth here by Your Spirit's work in our lives? Would we, would we be convicted? Would we be encouraged? Would You stir up hope? And would we want to be more holy as a result of your word to us tonight? We thank you for it. We know that it brings life. And we ask that you would be with us, that it might do that for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, we're in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Hear now God's word. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. The story of blind Bartimaeus. If we've grown up in the church, we've heard it. Its placement here in the book of Mark is critical because you know Mark has been talking the whole time about who's Jesus. What does he look like to the people around him? But who is he really? He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. But do the people see it? And here we see at the end of a critical A critical turning point here at the end of section 2 in Mark's gospel, a blind man sees what many have failed to see. In the first part of the gospel, Mark was laying out the misunderstanding that many uh, were having about who Jesus was. Since chapter 8, since Peter declared, you are the Christ, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. And here we see the question of who is Jesus is answered by a blind man. With regularity throughout the book of Mark so far, the unexpected ones are the ones who exhibit faith. The ones you wouldn't have probably predicted. They wouldn't be your fantasy picks. They're the ones who see who Jesus is. They're the ones who get it. And there are so many who you think should get it, and they don't. These would be your starters. But they have not been playing well to further the analogy. Let me give you an example, a few examples. I'm going to recap for you. Some of those who who we thought were going to get it, who just miss it. First of all, of course, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They questioned Jesus about fasting and about the Sabbath in chapter 2. 
and they prop up their man-made traditions against God's word in chapter 7. They demand a sign from Jesus after he has given sign upon sign in chapter 8. The Pharisees don't get it. Jesus' own family, they don't even get it. They say Jesus is out of his mind. And then Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, the ones who are most familiar, familiar with him, they miss it. And then the scribes, they say Jesus is in league with Satan in chapter 3. And last week we saw the rich man with all the worldly approval imaginable who is stuck on his achievements in chapter 10. He doesn't see who Jesus is. And so far, the disciples don't even see who Jesus is. The very ones who Jesus has called, the ones who follow him, the ones whom he has taught, they don't understand Jesus' teachings repeatedly. They ask him, but what did you mean? He says, are you still, do you still not have faith? They let fear conquer their confidence in Jesus when they were on the water twice. They argue over who's the greatest and they request the seats of honor beside Jesus. Yet they do declare Jesus to be the Christ and they slowly, ever so painfully, slowly will come to see who Jesus is, all of them but Judas. Now, some of the sleeper picks, the ones you would not have expected The sick, the diseased, the deaf and mute, the blind and the demon-possessed. The leper in chapter 1 on whom Jesus had pity. There's the paralytic in chapter 2 whose friend's faith brought him to Jesus. The man with the withered hand in chapter 3. The demoniac possessed by legion in chapter 5. The woman with persistent ritual uncleanness in chapter 5. The nameless daughter of Jairus in chapter 5. The Syrophoenician Gentile woman whose persistent faith in Jesus received the reward of life. She got the crumbs from the table in chapter 7. And then those with no status, the children, in chapter 10. These are the ones who seem to get it. And so today we come to the epitome of the question, who can see who Jesus is? And we come to a, a conclusion, a summary of the unexpected answers given so far. The story of blind Bartimaeus is that summary. It's the prime example of all those who have come before blind Bartimaeus of especially low social status of almost no social approval. He sees Jesus for who he is and he gets up and he follows the king. So here's our idea for the night. Blind Bartimaeus sees the king and follows. Blind Bartimaeus sees the king and follows. And we're going to break that sentence into four points. First, blind Bartimaeus. Second, sees. Third, the king. Fourth, and follows. So that's how we're going to look at the story tonight. First of all, let's look at blind Bartimaeus. We talk about blind Bartimaeus with no status. He's the guy sitting on the side of the road. He's the one that you try to avoid when you're coming up to the stoplight and you use the right lane if you can. He's the one collecting alms right there between Jericho and Jerusalem. Collecting alms for those who pass by, especially those who are on their way to Jerusalem for festivals. There's a road that connects Jericho and Jerusalem. And it's a steep climb through the desertous mountains from Jericho up to Jerusalem. But there, Jericho is the last stop before you get to Jerusalem. So the man sat outside of Jericho waiting for people to give alms, especially as they were going up to the city. It's not a seat of honor. When the disciples asked prior, can we sit one at your right hand and one at your left? They were not asking to be in this seat. Nobody wants to be in this seat on the side of the road. 
And we see this because as the crowd passed by, it was Jesus and his disciples and a great crowd, and they passed by, and blind Bartimaeus starts crying out, and the people try to silence him. Behind that, we can hear them saying, you're not important enough to access the king, to access this Jesus. Whereas the rich man seemed not to have any problem walking right up to Jesus. He is the one you'd expect to get it, but he's the one who didn't. And here we have blind Bartimaeus of low status with nothing to offer. And he too now is trying to access the king. But his approach is very different. His approach is humble. He comes like a child. You may remember our sermon last week was come to Jesus like a child. You must receive the kingdom of God like a child. And that doesn't mean you need to be immature. It doesn't mean you don't need to learn anything. You shouldn't be content with low knowledge of the gospel. What it's saying is you need to come humbly with nothing to offer to God, but only to receive. And this man, blind Bartimaeus, came like a child in multiple ways. He's like a child in his need. He's been helpless on the side of the road for a long time. This is long-term suffering in verses 46 and 47. He's likely known as that beggar guy who sits at that point on the road. And finally, he hears after a long time that his salvation has come near. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. His need is like that of a child. His need is like that of all who come to Jesus. He's also like a child in his determination. He's not going to be deterred by the crowd. They try to dissuade him, to silence him. But he cries out to Jesus all the more, even louder. Now, we have to notice before we continue, look how fickle, look how fickle the crowd was. At first, they're trying to keep him quiet. And then as soon as Jesus says, call him, they they say, oh, get up, take heart. He's calling you. They're fickle, but this man was not. He was not going to be tossed by what the world thought of him. He he was fixed on Jesus and was not going to let the people around him dissuade him from getting to Jesus. Let this remind us that no matter how distracting the world can be, and sometimes even directly antagonistic against our following of our Savior, remember, Jesus rewards this man's determination to get to the Savior, just like he rewarded the, the faith and the determination of the Syrophoenician woman who said, yet, but even the dogs get the crumbs under the table. He's also like a child in his honest request. We see this in verses 47 and 48 and in 51. When he, in what he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What, that, what he's saying there, it reveals that he is coming with nothing to offer. He's not coming saying, Jesus, here, I'll give you this if you'll have mercy on me. He's not saying, Lord, look at what I have accomplished. I hope that welcomes me into your kingdom. All he asks for is mercy, compassion. He deserves not an ounce of it, and he knows it. He comes like a child with nothing to offer. No impressive resume of law-keeping, just a request for mercy from the merciful Savior. Now, many expected, as we saw last time, these people were afraid. They saw Jesus going up. They were amazed, and they were afraid. Jesus, the one who has claimed, many have suspected he's the Messiah, and he's also told his disciples he's the Messiah. Many are afraid that if he's going up to Jerusalem, they're about to witness a revolution. 
He's about to take over, overthrow Rome and take Jerusalem back and rule it. The expectation of this Messiah created rumblings. Even blind Bartimaeus knew there were rumblings of this revolution coming. And he knows, blind Bartimaeus knows that if the king comes into power, the outcast and the sinners like himself would be the first ones to be disregarded. And in fact, some people expected that this ruler in Jerusalem would specifically target the, the weak and the sinners. That's not a biblical expectation. That was a cultural expectation. He thought he might be directly judged himself by this new ruler. So he can do nothing. If this is the man going to power, here's his best bet at not being consumed. He can offer nothing but beg for mercy, to beg for compassion, to be spared. And it's based entirely on the grace of the great king. He knows that there's nothing in him that makes him worthy of life or forgiveness. And so he doesn't even, he doesn't ask for a reward. He's not trying to persuade Jesus to give him anything that he deserves. Just like the disciples had tried to ask for what they deserve. Well, blind, blind Bartimaeus doesn't. He asks for entirely unmerited mercy. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't try to show that he deserves a seat of honor. He just simply says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Very simple, like a child. He comes with empty hands. How often do we come to Jesus like that? Simple requests, knowing that he alone is the one who can give. We come with bartering sometimes. We come thinking that we're not deserving and that that might keep God from showing us grace because we've not been holy enough. No, God shows mercy to sinners, those who have nothing to offer. Blind Bartimaeus is lastly like a child in that he forsook everything he had. In verse 50, we see he threw off his cloak and he sprang up and he came to Jesus. That cloak is probably how he collected alms. We don't know how much material possessions he might have had. But he threw off what he had there, his means of collecting alms. He threw off his cloak. Nothing else mattered. He got up and he went to Jesus. The rich man, when prodded and lovingly directed by Jesus to surrender his attachment, the rich man was encouraged to throw off his cloak, his things, in order to follow Jesus, but he couldn't break himself away. Blind Bartimaeus did. He threw it all off and came after the Savior. That's blind Bartimaeus. Now let's look at the fact that blind Bartimaeus sees. Sees. The fact that a blind man sees is a very intentional um, metaphor, but also it's historical fact, but it's also used to show the spiritual blindness of the disciples and to show the spiritual opening of the eyes of the unexpected. Blind Bartimaeus is in stark contrast with the disciples because this section of Mark right after Peter proclaimed Jesus to be the Christ, this section since then has been bookended by two blind healing stories. The first blind healing story was the two-stage healing where Jesus healed a man and then the man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus completed the healing. That was to indicate that the disciples are slow in understanding who Jesus is. Their spiritual understanding is slow. In fact, they are still blind. 
Here at the end of this section, blind Bartimaeus is healed and he is healed immediately. We assume that the disciples would be the ones to understand, yet they have, they have yet to grasp who Jesus is. And the irony here that a blind man sees simply shames the disciples. How do they not understand? It has redemptive significance too, that blind Bartimaeus receives his sight, that he sees. The significance of a blind man seeing is that he is not just physically able to see, but now he is spiritually able to take part in what God is doing. He can see Jesus who walks by. The promise is that those whom God ransoms will be saved. Those who can see God will be saved. Listen to Isaiah chapter 35. There are promises that when the kingdom of God is coming, it will be as the blind see. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 35. We'll be reading verse 2 and verses 5 and 6. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is salvation coming in a dry land. This is the gospel offered in a dark place, the light of the world. And when this comes, the blind will see. And here blind Bartimaeus sees the kingdom of God is indeed at hand. Water is breaking forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert right outside of Jericho. This is Jesus undoing the curse of sin on his people. Giving life and healing, not just physically, but spiritually. He gives eternal life. He gives streams of water in the desert. And we know that we cannot see without the Spirit's help. Salvation, then, isn't a matter of skill or worldly definition, but of God's gracious, loving call and his election. There is no one better or worse in the kingdom of God. And there is no one better or worse in this church. Because if we can see who Jesus is, we forsake all other identities and definitions and we run to the Savior. If we see as blind Bartimaeus saw, if we can see who Jesus is, God has given us by his spirit incredible undeserved grace. He has had compassion on us. He has raised us from our spiritual death. He has loved us, even us. If you have seen the king for years, or if you are for the first time today seeing who Jesus is, then keep him as your focus right now. He is our only hope in light of our sin. He is the sacrifice given for you once and for all. Keep that as your focus now. Keep that as your focus as you get in the car this evening. Keep that as your focus when you get home and when you wake up tomorrow. Let his word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path that you might see him clearer and clearer. And return to God's house next week. Prepare to see him again next Sunday as we cumulatively prepare to come into his presence every Lord's Day, we are being trained to see him as he is unveiled on that great and awesome day when we see him face to face. Blind Bartimaeus sees. Blind Bartimaeus sees the king. 
Now, this is the first time that Mark has really pulled out an analogy or, or a reference to Jesus' kingship. Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. Jesus has been Messiah throughout the book of Mark, and he's been the son of God. But this is the first time where he really pulls out Jesus being king. This is a royal and a messianic title. We see this in blind Bartimaeus' cry in verses 47 and 48. He calls him the son of David. They knew that the son of David was going to be the one to rule. Jesus has demanded silence from those who see who he is in this way, yet this time he doesn't tell blind Bartimaeus to be quiet because he is so close to coming up to Jerusalem. He's so close. He knows that the, the rumblings of the Messiah are already out. He knows that he has been teaching and training his disciples as he intended to do. Yet this time he does not tell blind Bartimaeus to be quiet because the very next passage you'll see in Mark chapter 11 is the triumphal entry. There comes the king entering the city. The son of David carries that royal and messianic weight, but it also is a reference back to the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God says through the prophet, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The kingship of Jesus will never end. And here he is about to enter as the king. And Isaiah 11 also talks about this. He says, Therefore, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's the son of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is the king of power, king of justice. That's the king blind Bartimaeus is expecting as he passes by. And then Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, similarly says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That's our king. He will reign. And his promise to David did not fail. And his promise to us that he will return and reign fully on that last day and welcome us to reign with him, that promise also will not fail. After 400 years of silence, here comes the fulfillment of that promise on the scene on the road outside Jericho. And we look forward to that day when Jesus executes judgment in righteousness and in equity, where he preserves the remnant from his people. He'll cover them in the righteousness that poured from the fountain of his sacrifice on the cross. There's a really important thing to note about this king. First of all, he was willing to talk to blind Bartimaeus. He says, call him. The least of the least, the lowest, the ones that everybody else was trying to silence. Jesus says, call him. I want to talk to him. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? 
Is that the question you would expect a king to ask a nobody? What do you want me to do for you? You would expect the king to say, here's a task I have for you. But he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus had just said in chapter 10, verse 45, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus what he could do for the man, he is showing that he has come to give his life for his people. In this, he is the truest king, the one who does well what Psalm 72 describes of God's appointed king. It says here in Psalm 72, verses 12 and 14, for he delivers the needy when he calls. This king delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Jesus came to serve. That's the kind of king that we have. And he's the king who's coming into Jerusalem. We see this in verses 46 and 47. Now, coming into Jerusalem out of Jericho. They expect that this kingdom is going to be restored to its golden days of Israel, the days that are going to pale in comparison to Jesus's reign, but the best days that they've known. But Jesus has already explained in verse 33, he's not coming to Jerusalem to reinstitute a national kingdom. He's coming to lay down his life. This is the place where the king is going to be executed This is where the king will reign, but over his spiritual enemies, over your and my real foes, sin and death and Satan. That's where the victory was accomplished when Jesus came into Jerusalem, where he gave his life as a ransom for many. And so the king coming into Jerusalem is the one who saves through faith. Jesus pours out abundant blessing, blessing upon blessing for those who have faith in him. Verse 52. Look at chapter 10, verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It's his faith that makes him well. Also, what that means in Greek is your faith has saved you. It was the faith of the paralytic's friends in chapter 2. That led Jesus to heal him. It was the woman's faith. Jesus said to her in chapter 5, your faith has made you well. And to the disciples, he talks about how they lack faith in chapter 4. But here he says, your faith has made you well. Do we come to Jesus in faith? Receive and rest. Receive and rest when we come to Jesus. Receive and rest. Trust him alone to give us life. Blind Bartimaeus sees this good king, and he comes in faith. Blind Bartimaeus sees the king and follows. Last point, point four, and follows. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. On the way means on the road, but it also means the way, as in the way of life. Blind Bartimaeus followed Jesus on this road. It's a desert wilderness road along steep ridges up to Jerusalem. The 3,000 foot climb over the next 15 to 20 miles to the place where Jesus would suffer and die. And he is no longer collecting alms on the side of the road. 
he no longer has need for these worldly collections because Jesus is sufficient for him. He follows on the way of discipleship. The way of discipleship that Jesus has called many to. He called Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And Matthew, he rose from his booth and followed Jesus. And Jesus had said to the crowd in chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we see that exemplified here. Blind Bartimaeus denies all that he has. He takes up his cross and he follows Jesus down that way. Blind Bartimaeus is the representative of a real disciple. One commentator puts it this way. The two terms in verse 52, there are two terms here, follow and then road or way. These two terms together, they both speak of discipleship. And the prominence of this phrase in Act 2, here at the end of Section 2 in Mark, the prominence of this phrase ensures that its occurrence at the end of this act reminds us of this central theme of discipleship. Blind Bartimaeus, now set free from his blindness, represents all those who have found enlightenment and follow the master. So as the pilgrim group sets off again up the Jerusalem road with one additional member, the reader is prepared to witness the coming of the son of David to his city and challenged to join him on the road. Mark sets this up where we have to ask ourselves now, do we see like blind Bartimaeus? Do we see who Jesus is and are we willing to throw off all that we have and to follow him? As we trek through Mark, we're still on the edge of our seats waiting to see when or if the disciples are going to understand and we then have to be drawn in and ask the same questions of our souls. When will we see and follow Jesus? Are we more like the disciples and the Pharisees or are we more like the blind man? Are we like the great religious leaders who are blind or are we like the blind who can see? Are we like the nobodies who get it? The humble and the faithful ones. And will we follow him? So I'll leave you with three questions as you leave here. Do you know that you're blind on your own? Do you know that you are blind on your own? Or do you think that you can see well enough to figure things out on your own? If you're not willing to say, have mercy on me, then you may not realize your need. And second, have you seen the king? Do you see that Jesus alone is the savior? He is the one with power and authority. He is the one who will rule in righteousness. And he is also the sacrifice that will welcome you into the presence of God. He is the king who gave his life up. Are you blind on your own? And do you realize that you can see the king by the Spirit's help when you look to Jesus alone? And third, have you followed? This takes many forms, but it includes denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. It's not comfortable. It does not lead to great wealth. It does not lead to great comfort in this world. In fact, we have to deny those things that the world say we, says we have to have. And instead, we say no to our own desires. Are we that kind of disciple? Are we persistent no matter whether the world tries to dissuade us? There is no half-hearted discipleship in the kingdom of God. We cannot serve two masters. Let's be like blind Bartimaeus. See the king and follow.